You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, RPA is proud to present Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show. I'm your host, Aaron Frail. On Aaron's Horror Show, we're going to go ahead and read some horror fiction and talk about horror in all its forms, books, movies, you name it. If you want to go ahead and get a hold of the show, you can go ahead and contact Aaron's Horror Show at Gmail or Aaron Horror Show on Twitter or Aaron's Horror Show on Facebook. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. We are at episode 10. Woohoo! Party! Fanfare! Woo, woo, woo. We are going to go ahead and talk about M. Night Shalaman today. I think I'm pronouncing that right. I really do not know how to pronounce his name. In fact, my screenwriting teacher when I was in college called him M. Night Shalaman a ding dong. So maybe I'll just call him M. Night Shalaman a ding dong, right? And get a lot of angry letters. Go ahead, start sending in your angry letters now. Anyways, I know there's a lot of mixed feelings about him as a writer slash director. I personally like him more so than I dislike him. I, you know, I know there's a lot of different reasons why people, uh, you know, dislike his movies. For example, Killer Plants. Yes, I know he did the Killer Plant movie. Uh, I, 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 I. I get it. I totally get it. But, you know, if you could kind of sit back and, and, and let, you know, let things go, they're, they're actually pretty good movies. And, and, and one movie I want to go ahead and tell you about today is Signs. Signs is probably one of the more horrifying movies, I would say, within his repertoire. Uh, I still haven't seen the split personality one. I'm blanking on the name at the moment. I had a friend recommend that to me, so I'm going to go ahead and check that one out, especially for this podcast. But Signs I want to go ahead and talk about because I feel that Signs has a different reading than what would one would typically go into seeing that movie. So uh, once again, spoiler alert. We're going to go ahead and spoil this movie, but for most people that have seen Signs, the first thing that pops in their head, if I were to ask them, hey, what do you think Signs is about? They'll be like, it's about aliens. And I don't think that's what it's about. I, I heard a theory from somebody who read it on the internet. He read this from someone else, so this is kind of not my own personal theory, but when I heard it, I was like, yeah, I totally love that theory about this movie. And the theory was, is that they're not aliens, but they're demons. Yes, demons. Now think about it. If they're demons, that totally takes this movie in a different context. So for those of you that seen it, uh, the main character, of course, is a character that has lost his faith as a preacher, right? So he's someone who no longer believes in God, and he's a priest, and then these weird creatures show up. And so 
if you think about his daughter being kind of a saint uh, character, then it brings it in an entirely new light, right? Because in the movie, the aliens, or the demons, are uh, creatures that, that get hurt by water, and then his daughter just happens to leave all these water glasses everywhere. Now, what if we change our perception of the water and say that it's holy water? What if she's a saint? What if she is sent there by God, and she's leaving holy water around? And then there is this scene right at the end where he's holding his daughter and she's having an asthma attack. And in that moment, he prays, right? Like he's a guy that has lost his faith entirely. And then he prays. And then not only do, uh, you know, does his daughter stop having the asthma attack, but the aliens or, or the demons disappear, right? And they disappear entirely, like the entire planet no longer has these uh, these creatures anymore. And so, what if it's him getting his faith back that, that gets all the demons to, to go away? I think that's kind of a cool theory. I think it make, makes it very different when you think about it, because, you know, there's never any point in this movie where you really, like know for sure that it's aliens from another planet, right? Like, everyone calls them aliens, but if you think about it, that's what people are calling them because they live in this world of, of you know, the X-Files TV show, right? So, like, I and, and me personally, I probably call a thing like that an alien. Like, I mean, honestly, if I saw this weird creature... I, my, my first thought would be, oh, that's an alien, you know what I mean? Like, I'm, like I wouldn't sit there and go to demon right away. Uh, and so I think those creatures being demons adds a different spin to that movie that puts it in a whole different light. And then if you add the plot line of the, uh, the, the preacher that lost his faith, well, that's kind of neat. It's kind of a different way of thinking about that. All right. So that is that is that movie. Now let's go ahead and talk about The Village, another M. Night Shyamalan ding-dong movie. Maybe I should really stop using that name. I mean, my screenwriting teacher kind of used it sarcastically, but uh, uh, it adds, like, <laughs> you know, not exactly a, a scary uh, a thing to it. Anyways, so let's go ahead and, and, and talk about The Village. So... Once again, spoiler alert. So the village is these people that kind of live in our modern age, and and they dress up like demons in order to keep the people inside that village from ever leaving, so they can be like super Amish, basically. You know what I mean? Like like it's like like there are Amish that are like Amish extreme. We're gonna go ahead and reject everything. And, and we're going to create these weird demons so people don't find out uh, about us. Now, this is where I have one flaw with that movie. I, I liked it, by the way. I, that one was one of the ones I really liked. And the reason for I I went for the ride on that one. I didn't try and guess the surprise ending. I had a friend who, like, turned to me in the movie theater. And he was like, I know what's happening. And I, like, said to him, go tell me. <laughs> I like literally said that uh and uh you know 
at the end when they when they revealed the the whole the whole what it was really going on in the village i was like oh that's so cool so i i went along for the ride it was only afterwards that it just sort of cascaded away for me because i i i, I thought about it and i was like has a plane never flown over their village and really think about it a plane it's such a simple thing but it happens all the time in fact the only time that i have ever not seen a plane fly overhead was 9/11 9/11 i i went to work that day i was working for tivo the the you know i was working in a call center answering calls about people's tivos and i was sitting there thinking to myself like man like like i watch tv all day cuz i work for you know a company that basically has a tv at every uh <laughs> cubicle because we got to troubleshoot people's tivos and i'm just going to sit here and watch the news and who's going to call in on a day like this so i went to work anyways on 9/11 and uh sat there watching tv and every single break all of us got out there and we're like sitting there looking up to the sky going man it's so weird there's no planes and then also another weird thing is we we the building that I was at was near a freeway and because it was a day that nobody was going to work and nobody was doing anything there's no cars on the road either and we were just commenting on how quiet the middle of the city was that day it was really kind of creepy and that's why the village sort of like like I don't I don't know if it necessarily worked because if you think about it these people would have seen a plane they would have heard a car there would have been something a, a siren ooh that's kind of weird i don't know if you could hear it but there's a siren going by my house right now maybe you can't but hopefully you can because that's kind of spooky right i mean there had to have been some sort of modern noise i mean it, it's really hard to get completely quiet especially over there on the east coast right i i could see it in new mexico that's where I'm from, New Mexico. And in New Mexico there is literally hours where there's nothing. You could you could drive for hours and you're in the desert and there's nothing out there. But even then, you know, like like my favorite place, the Jemez Mountains in the New Mex in New Mexico, it's it's pretty remote in some places and there's still planes flying overhead. Uh you still see planes every so often. So yeah. Anyways one last M Night Shyamalan movie that we're going to go we're getting a, a a triple movie in this it's like a three pack of movies okay so the last one is the sixth sense that i'm going to go ahead and talk about and so the one thing that i think about when i think about the sixth sense is i see dead people yes the famous surprise ending and i think it's the one that probably worked the best it's the one that they go ahead and hold him to uh when you think about his other movies i think that one you know i that same friend that uh figured out the village he actually figured out six sense too i also told him not to tell me uh <laughs> during the six sense because you know what i don't i don't like my surprise ending spoiled i kind of like to turn off that critical part of my brain until afterwards just because i i'd rather go with whatever the filmmaker intended uh but anyways the six sense i think is the one that worked that worked really well and i think that's the one that that really uh really set the standard for him as a filmmaker and i think it was kind of sad in a way because i i don't think you can ever achieve that again and i i think the one thing that 
you know, when you think about him as a filmmaker, everyone is constantly comparing to the experience that they might have had with The Sixth Sense. If if your mind was completely blown by The Sixth Sense, if you watch that movie and you're just like, oh my, oh wow, that is amazing, then you see any other movie and it's not as amazing. I mean, look at The Village. I was surprised by The Village, but I wasn't like, oh my, it's amazing. You know what I mean? Like, like The Sixth Sense, I walked out going, that is so cool. Whereas The Village, I was like, yeah, that's kind of cool. It's interesting. That's very interesting. You know what I mean? It wasn't quite as visceral. And so one thing I really think about when you think about his movies is uh, he's kind of being, you're, you're kind of comparing to the first time your mind was blown by one of his movies. And, and that's the sad part is I think he does pretty good stuff and he doesn't need to be a surprise ending every time. Like that's where I think he gets into a trap as a filmmaker is that if you're always comparing to the sixth sense, you're probably never going to do that again right? Because everyone's then going to be looking for that surprise, right? I mean, I would think the better thing to do would be just have no surprise. Just tell a good story. Just have a good movie, you know? Don't try and blow everyone's mind. And I, I think he has a lot of that in them as, as, as just a good movie writer. I, I, I think just having this really kind of good, solid story doesn't need to be a surprise at the end uh, can work. And and start doing that, and then maybe, you know, three, four, five, six movies down the line, throw in another big surprise one at the end. And that's where I think a lot of folks that do kind of like surprise endings get themselves in a rut, because if they don't have everyone experience like the first time their mind was blown by that filmmaker, then it just it is just not as exciting, right? And so, anyways, that's kind of my thoughts on M. Night Shalaman. Oh, and by the way, my weird little bit of trivia, he wrote Stuart Little. Yeah, he wrote Stuart Little. Think about that. All right, Tuner's up next. Chapter 7 John couldn't believe what was happening. He was driving his dad's SUV, illegally, to a mall where he was not allowed to go anymore, with a group of people who were weirder than the freak with the hoodie from earlier. To top it off, his dad was groaning and wounded in the back seat. John was surprised they didn't get pulled over. Cops always seemed to target John. Security almost every store followed him around like he had nothing better to do than to shoplift. Guards had threatened to call the police on John plenty of times when they caught him or his friends loitering, but it always seemed to be more of a threat. The only time he actually had a run-in with the police was when Rashan found this abandoned insane asylum. They were taking pictures and screwing around when the cops showed up. They said there was gang activity in the area and told them it wasn't a safe place to play. At 13, he felt insulted by the use of the word play. Now, John was 16. If a cop pulled him over, they wouldn't be so nice. John just wanted to get to the mall and drop off these nutty people and then get to the hospital. He thought about just driving to the hospital anyway, but he saw how good they were with their weapons. John wouldn't last long in a fight. 
He couldn't help but wonder if he was going insane and was really just driving himself with his dad. Maybe these people were delusions. Either way, he didn't seem to have much of a choice in the matter. Abby's crew had saved him and the least he could do was humor her. Besides, he didn't want to be too far from her if more of those cleave-browed jerks appeared again. If the bone-armored men were just delusions, then those phantoms packed quite a punch. The mall parking lot was almost completely empty. The only thing that could be seen were the headlights of the night patrolman who was on the other side of the mall from their location. John turned his headlights off and pulled up to one of the doors of the mall. They all piled out of the car. Patel and DeAndre carried John's father on a makeshift stretcher. They all walked to the entryway. It was closed for the night, and Abby turned to Meat Hook and said, Meat Hook? Meat Hook smiled and pulled out his warhammer. With pleasure. He was about to swing at the glass door when John said, Wait, wait, there's an alarm. Do you want the cops showing up? You have a good point. They probably won't make it in time, but... Remember 57, Abby said. How can I forget, DeAndre said. I spent all night in that prison before Hector could bail us out. You know what to do, Ludy, Abby said. Ludy nodded and pulled out some tools from his fanny packs. He pried off the electric lock and noodled around inside. He pulled out a phone similar to Abby's and connected it to the lock. After a few moments, there was a spark and the LED turned to green. Ludy stepped away and Abby nodded. Before John could say anything, Meat Hook smashed the door with his warhammer and glass flew everywhere. The metal had stepped inside and his boots crunched on the glass. He swung it again and smashed through the inner set of doors. To John's surprise, there was no alarm. Fried the contacts. The alarm system doesn't even know the circuit is broken, Ludy said, as if he knew what John was thinking. Ludy stuffed his tools back into his fanny pack. They all stepped inside. It was dark and spooky at night. Most of the stores had metal gates covering the fronts. Even the kiosk had security seals. There wasn't much they could do in the mall at night other than wait for the night patrol person to make their way around the door they had busted open and call the police on them. They pushed their way anyway and went deeper into the mall. John was about to ask them what the hell they were supposed to be doing when Abby stopped them and front of the closed up forever 21 and pulled out her pink headphones from her pocket the rest of the gang did the same they all seemed to have headphones that expressed their personality deandre had a pair like a dj would use patel had a pair of sports headphones like a jogger would wear meat hook had a pair with a snarling demon on it that looked like a death metal bassist ludi wore a pair of gamer headphones complete with a mouthpiece for screaming out orders when during the heat of action. What are you? John began and Abby shushed him. They all sat in silence listening. After a while, Meat Hook took off his headphones and said, Man, I got nothing. Me too. Me too, DeAndre said, slinging his headphones around his neck. Nothing. The others nodded in agreement and Abby swore and yelled, It was here earlier. Ludy said, you know, the Einstein roads and bridges aren't stable if we were to... We don't have another day. This guy might not last another hour. Abby nodded towards John's dad and swore again. John looked at their faces and realized something. You're listening for that noise. The one with the weird hum. 
The shock curled up on Abby's face. She said, How do you know about the hum? I, I heard it in a store. Then again, right before the attackers appeared at my house. You heard it? You think he can... You think he can tune? Patel asked. There was a red flash near the entrance where they came in the mall. It was followed by another and then another. Soon flashes began appearing throughout the mall. This time it wasn't just one or two men sporting the cloven forehead look. It was dozens of them. They were appearing in groups of three or four at a time. It was at such a rapid rate. There would be an army in no time. He better be able to tune. Put your headphones on. But, John said, don't question. Do it. John scrambled to put his, pull his headphones out of his backpack. He never felt like headphones would be something you have to pull out in a rush, so he fumbled every step of the way, untangling them, shoving the eighth-inch jack in his phone. Meanwhile, red flashes happened quicker, and the bone-armored thugs got more and more numerous. Finally, the earbuds were in his ear, and Abby yelled, Play some music! Uh, what kind? Any kind! The group appeared next to them. Their scarred forehead thugs attacked. Patel and Sheev two swords and charged one of the men in her bone armor. He attempted to stab the blade into her chest, and it shattered as soon as it hit her. She made short work for him. Meathook swung his hammer, and it knocked another group that had just appeared in different directions. One of them threw and crashed through the metal gate of an Eddie Bauer. A display of hiking shorts toppled from the impact. DeAndre spun his nunchucks at lightning quick speed. John hit his playlist and a rap song blared in his headphones. More flashes appeared, more bone thugs appeared around them. Abby kicked one, stabbed another, dodged two, and then hit another two with her blades. She yelled loud enough to be heard over John's music. Now concentrate, listen for the hum. It will be in the background, just under the music. Abby flipped over another and used him as a human shield against an attack. Mito clobbered another group and sent them flying in various directions. Ludi pulled out a rod from his pouches and clunked it over the one that got too close. John closed his eyes and concentrated in a song. He could hear it, just below the lowest bass note, just above the highest treble, in between the clap of the drums. There was a hum. It had been there his whole life, but he didn't notice it until now. He could still hear the music, but it was like something was hiding underneath. And now John can hear it. He opened his eyes. Patel deflected more blows with her body and gutted more thugs. DeAndre darted around at incredible speeds, helping where the battle was thin. Abby was the most graceful of them all. She moved like a dancer, her body in tune with the music. For a brief moment, John forgot about the battle and saw her. What direction is it? Abby yelled at John. What? John said. The noise. What direction is it coming from? John concentrated again. He could hear the hum underneath the music. He tuned out the music and just focused on the noise. For a moment, the music and the sound of battle faded away, and all that was left was the hum. He could hear it. It pulsed in the background. That way! John pointed down the mall towards the food court. Meathook knocked a swath of thugs out of the way. Ludi pulled out six squares from his belt. He tossed them to the ground, and they unfolded into skateboards. No way, John said. Meathook scooped up John's father and jumped on a board. 
It sagged under his weight. The others jumped on the other boards. DeAndre took the rear and used a super speed to deflect the oncoming attacks. Lead the way, Abby said in motion for John. John concentrated again on the hum in his headphones. He kicked off his skateboard and led them forward. Red flashes puffed into existence around them. The mall was filling up with more and more of the cultists. Soon, there would be so much of them that even Meat Hook's hammer couldn't possibly take them all down. As they rode towards the food court, the hum got louder and louder. Once they were close, the noise was so loud that it drowned out the music entirely. It was the most deafening thing that he could hear when they got to a spot in the middle of the food court. John stopped them and told them it was the loudest in this point. The army that appeared in the mall had not caught up to them yet. The red flashes were still depositing soldiers, but they were behind as if someone was zeroing in on their location each time they teleported troops. Abby pulled out her phone and swiped the strange app John had seen her use the first time he saw her. She tapped in frustration. Are you sure? John stepped in all directions and said, Yeah, it's strongest here. I'm not getting anything, Abby said. I thought you said you can do. Uh, it doesn't even... Uh, I don't even know what that is. I, I just heard a noise and John stopped. He thought back to when he was testing out the spot in the Forever 21. It was loud when he heard the hum, much louder than it was right now. He jumped up in the air and for a brief moment the noise got quieter. The spot had to be underneath his feet. It was on the first floor! What are you doing? Abby said. John looked towards the escalator. It was flooding with soldiers. The red flashes were appearing all around them now. There were hundreds upon hundreds of them. John turned to Meat Hook and said, Can you pound a hole in the floor with your hammer? Yeah, Meat Hook said, but it will collapse the whole thing. That's exactly what I want to do. Abby, ready your phone, John said. Abby nodded in recognition. You better hold on tight, and you better be right about this. They all pulled their phones out. Patel picked up John's father. Abby pulled John close to her. Her body was soft and warm to the touch. She was even more beautiful than John had remembered. It sent flutters in his stomach and his chest pounded. Somehow he wasn't nervous. The entire time they were being chased by otherworldly soldiers. And now the girl's wrapping her arms around him. He felt his knees go weak. Or maybe it was Meat Hook pounding on the floor. The metal had slammed his hammer down. The floor cracked. The red flashes formed a circle surrounding them. The thugs ran screaming in all directions. The hammer came down again, and the floor shifted. The flashes came closer. The soldiers came closer still. With a third mighty strike and a roar from Meat Hook, the floor collapsed. They all fell and John wrapped another arm around Abby. The hum erupted in his headphones. They were on a collision course with the clothes rack of the express below the food court. After hitting the button on her phone, John and Abby disappeared in a flash of blue light.
you for listening to Aaron's Horror Show. I very much appreciate your support. Please go ahead and send me your stories. If you haven't heard our first listener story, it's one episode before this. Episode 9. It's a fun story. You should check it out. Uh, and, you know, if you want your own story told on the air, I'd be happy to go ahead and do it. Anyways, thank you for listening. If you haven't heard of Real Paranormal Activity on Mondays with your host Aaron Hunter, then you should do it. I'm on Tuesdays. Terry's Mysterious Moments is on Wednesdays. And the Sandman's Lullaby will come to you whenever it feels like it. Thank you for listening. And have a, a silly night. There you go. Have a silly night. There you go. Be silly. You deserve it.